Someone may ask you this year. This was asked in a college website, and these are some of the responses. Bad television, nice food, but too much of it, peanuts, fruitcake, aftershave, and cold weather. That was his summary of what Christmas was. Another chived in. In one word, alcohol and a marathon of hangovers that last all year long. I hope that's no one here. A girl wrote in, I can do it in one word, negativity. So many complain and grumble saying, oh, it's Christmas again. And it really takes from the true meaning of the event. These people have really lost touch with the meaning of Christmas. And I say that because sometimes we buy into it also as Christians. It is a consumer event. I don't have to tell you that. Uh, we're bombarded with commercials and, and before they've even put up uh, back to school displays in our stores that right next to it we have the Christmas displays. Everybody wants to get a jump on what is Christmas, money. And I found some statistics and I think this was taken during a recession but they're pretty staggering. 28 million 497,454 rolls of wrapping paper, 16,826,362 packages of tags and bows, 372,430,682 greeting cards, 35,200,000 Christmas trees. It's a consumer event. And us Americans take it real seriously. We judge our, our economy on this event alone, how well our nation is doing. If you were to sum up Christmas in one sentence, what would it be? Turn with me to John 1, verse 14. I say that because us as Christians meaning Christ followers, and Christmas meaning Christ festival. Don't you think that we, we, sh we of all events should get this one right? We should nail this one. We should be the best celebrators of Christ around. We should be that example of what celebrating Jesus Christ is all about. And the word became flesh. I want to stop right there. I could have uh, taught on the birth of Jesus, but I'm, I'm almost sure that Jackie's going to nail that one, hit it out of the park. And just from my perspective, it's never really moved me to serve him more. But I think that's why John wrote his gospel. I believe John was asked, John, write, write, your, write your gospel. And he thought, well, what does the beginning of Christ mean to me? And he knew the other gospels were out there, and he didn't feel a need to 
Say it again. So he took it from another perspective. This morning, we're not going broad, but we are going deep. I want to see Christmas as Apostle John saw it, and the Word became flesh. I want to break it down into three sections. His identity, the Word, his activity became, and his humanity, flesh. All, all these three are tucked in these three words. Word became flesh. Let us pray before we get into the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we sing. We praise you for all you do. We open up our hearts. We lift our hands. We open up your word and we study as we do every week in expectation that we would hear from you, that you would refresh our souls once again, that we would know more and more and trust you more, that you would reveal the true meaning of Christmas, Lord, we pray, so we can apply it this season. As your people, we so desperately want to be used by you, that, you, that we would be a light shining, giving you glory. Help us to see as Apostle John saw as the true Christmas story. That we too would be amazed at the mystery of our God and the miracle of your coming. Our God came down to meet us here. I'm amazed by that, Lord. And I, I'm, I come myself, Lord, in expectation to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the word. I find it peculiar that John, a very personal man that felt very close to Jesus, rested his head upon Jesus' shoulder. And called, he's called the beloved apostle, would use such an impersonal title as the word to describe Jesus. He was following a theme that is read that all who read would understand. Go with me to verse 1, and you'll see what I mean. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Go with me to verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. So that we're not mistaken who 
John's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Real clear. And he says, I don't want you to miss this before I get to the climatic statement. I want you to know this is the beginning. Before creation was, he was with the Father in the beginning. Not only was he with the Father, by the way, he was God. Oh, by the way, he was the light of men. And then the climatic statement of all scripture statement, the concise scripture of his birth, his mission, and his deity, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This isn't the only place that John uses this description of Jesus. In 1 John, he wrote three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. In 1 John, he writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Can you imagine for a moment what it must have been like for John and the apostles when they finally realized who they were dealing with? You know, they started following Jesus because they thought, this might be him. This might be the Messiah. Let's follow and see. And first Jesus turned water into wine. And they said, oh, maybe he is. He gave the lame the ability to walk. The blind could see. He healed the lepers. He fed the 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And finally, there was a day when Jesus came to his disciples and he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And the, the apostles got in the boat. Jesus almost immediately falls asleep in the middle of the boat. They get into the middle, middle of the sea and a storm comes upon them like nothing they've ever seen. See, these are professional fishermen. And they're thinking, this is nothing we've ever seen. And they start to panic because they're trying to bail the water out of the boat. So they come to Jesus and they wake him up. And they say, Master, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up from the boat and he calms the sea. And he rebukes the waves. And immediately, there's a calm. No waves. No wind. Complete silence. And Jesus turns to his disciples and say, Ye of little faith, why do you doubt? And Jesus goes back to sleep. Disciples are freaked out at this point because they were in a storm that was about to take their life. And they turn to one another and they say, 
What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And in my own head, I imagine them walking over and standing over Jesus and looking down because the statement that they made was saying, he is God. He is God. So they're standing over and they're staring down at Jesus. Can you imagine trying to sleep with these guys looking down? Because they're finally realizing who they were with. Okay, what's with this phrase, the word? This was a common phrase used in the first century. Used by both Greeks, Gentiles, and Jews alike. The Jews would use a phrase called the memre, memra, meaning the essence, the ultimate expression of God. Because as a Jew, they wouldn't want to use the name of God because they would a fear of breaking the third commandment. So they wouldn't say the name of God. They would say the memra. Memra, meaning the word lagas, lagas. The Greeks, the same way, a philosopher would talk to his students and say, we have order, we have perfect order, we have the galaxy and all the stars and the moon and the sun, everything in perfect order. We have sunsets, sunrises. Seasons come and the seasons go. What's the reason for this perfect order? And the students would say, the lagas. And he would say, right, the lagas. God. God. The essence, the expression of God. So when John wrote this, he knew that everyone that read his letter would understand what he was talking about. And John says, he is God. He is the light of men. Number two, it says, and the word became flesh. What does John mean by became? Well, what John was saying was, he became something he was not. He became flesh. God could have communicated with man in a number of ways to the human race. He could have written a letter, his grossa. We do that with each other, don't we? We write letters, we send greetings cards with a little note inside. And God did that, didn't he? He gave us his word. We're reading it, studying it this morning. God could have sent field reps representatives to tell us a message from God. And God did that through his prophets, after prophet, after prophet, to declare God's glory. God could have communicated through info commercials, billboards, signs. And God did that, in essence, through the miracles in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. 
But the most effective way God could do it is to come and tell us himself. And that's what he did. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has, all ma- he has he made the worlds, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He was God with us, Emmanuel. God came down. Now number three, the word became flesh, his humanity. And when John says the word became flesh, we tend to think, well, he was, he was God. We believe that. And then he was a man. And then he was, when, when God took him up, he was God again. No. He was God and man. He was the God-man. And I cringe sometimes when I hear someone say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He was a really good man. No, he wasn't. He was the God-man. And, you know, and I thought that as much as we study, as much as we go through our scriptures and search this out and hunt in our own heart, it still remains a mystery. We will never actually understand what it meant that God would come down and take on the body of flesh. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, Great is the mystery of our faith, God was manifest in the flesh, received up in glory. Now we have God as a human being, the one larger than life, the one that holds the universe in the span of his hand, who created all things in the womb of a young woman. It's staggering. It, it just baffles me when I think about it. And I hope it, and I hope it always blows your mind. Because when John wrote this, that was his purpose. I believe it blew John's mind when he finally realized who he was with. When he wrote his epistle and says, we beheld him, we touched him, we saw him. He was God. God as a zygote, and then an embryo, and then a fetus, and then a little baby child. It's staggering. Philip Ancy said it well, I think, when he wrote, Imagine if you could, for a moment, becoming a baby again, giving up language, Muscle coordination, 
the ability to eat solid food and to control your bladder. This was our God. God as a fetus. Or imagine, if you can, yourself as a sea slug. Because this is more accurate. This is the big question. You know, this isn't the end. You and I are promised that you and I will be taken up and we will receive a glorified body. That this corruption must put on incorruption. That we will see God as we are seen. But this is the thing. Jesus remains a man for eternity. Think about that. When John is taken up into heaven, he sees Jesus as the lamb that was slain. And he sees what it cost Jesus that we might be saved. What it cost him that we would be drawn back into fellowship with him. Here's the big question I want to ask this morning. Why would God do this? Number one, for redemption. For man to be saved, there had to be a perfect blood sacrifice. There came a time when God the Father turned to the Son and said, the only way that man can be saved is there for there to be a, a sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'll do it. In Hebrews 2, 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is, the devil. He was the only way that we could be saved. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be called children of God. It's as though God the Father, Jesus took the hand of God the Father and took the hand of mankind and stood in the gap. Number two, for representation. We had to have a perfect representative. I want you to imagine for a moment going to somebody and pouring out your heart to them, your suffering, your pain, and all that you go through knowing he lives in a crystal palace and has no idea what you're saying. How could he feel compassion? Jesus, in all honesty and truth, can say, I understand. I've been through what you're going through. I know. And we know no matter what you and I go through, he went through worse for you and me. 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I have to tell you guys, he was tempted in every area, yet without sin. He never sinned. And it gives me confidence that I can always come to him and he understands. Not only that, no matter what I'm going through, I can receive mercy and grace in my time of need. Whatever sin I'm struggling with, he's there with an open hand and open arms and he understands what I'm going through. And I was going to leave this third point out but I believe it's the climactic point. He did this because of the great love that God has for you and me. I believe Jackie nailed this on the head and I, I thought, I don't need to teach on this no more. But we need to know, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have did it. He would have went to the cross for you. And this is what John wrote in his first epistle. Behold the manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And Jesus talking to Nic Nicodemus, looked Nicodemus in the eye and says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and I believe that Nicodemus didn't understand that at the time but he was pointing Nicodemus to the cross he was explaining to him you don't understand now but you will understand Nicodemus watch you'll understand how much the father loves you this is Christmas in a nutshell the word became flesh. If anyone's to ask you, you can tell them the word became flesh. Of course, you're going to have to explain it to them. But you have the study to pull back on. This still doesn't answer fully the question, how are we to celebrate Christmas? How do we apply this, this Christmas? How do we not get off track? We need to become, the word becomes flesh in us. We need to apply this in our life just like Jesus. We need to be men and women of God's word. Not just hearers only, but doers. We need to be able to preach the word. When God gives you an opportunity... 
See, Paul talked to Timothy and he says, Timothy. But see, he wasn't talking just to Timothy. He was talking to you and me. He said, Timothy, preach the word in and out of season. Peter, writing to the church, to the church in Asia Minor, said, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you have that hope in you? When you get that knock on the door and those guys come up on the bicycles, you and I need to give that hope that is in you. We need to think, thank you, God. You've given me an opportunity to share your love. You've given me an opportunity to share the true gospel. We need to be ready to share our faith. If all we do is sit at the feet of Jackie, we will become well-fed, fat Christians. But we will not bear the fruit that God has called us to bear until we walk in the Word. Until the Word becomes the Word in us. Paul said to the Corinthians... I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. You and I need to learn to feed ourselves on the meat of the word. That's when God speaks to you. That's when God tugs at your heart. That's when God draws you in. That's when the joy of the Lord becomes full. Keep the word central. Keep it on Christ. Jesus says, the book is about me. Speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me. Every word, every page is about Jesus. If you, lurch, if you look and search and you find a story that's peculiar and you don't understand it, put Christ in the middle and it all becomes clear. You read the story of uh, the Passover, the first Passover, and where the angels are, are to pass over the house that has the blood on the doorposts and on top and you see the cross. And you understand when we take communion this morning, when Jesus says, with fervent desire, I've desired to take this meal with you. He's talking about that first Passover. He's talking with fervent desire. I've desired to do this with you in fellowship. You know, I, I, I think it's really cool that you and I don't have to put a new spin in, in the modern age, in the modern era that we live. We don't have to come up with a new message. We have one book, one message, one gospel. And it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce hearts and to change lives. And we don't have to come up with a new message to draw the masses into the church. We don't have to put a new spin on it. We have God's word. 
There was a, there was a toy manufacturer who marketed a baby Jesus doll. This is a true story. And uh, they sent it out to all these uh, toy, toy stores and they filled their shelves with this baby Jesus doll. And uh, it came with a velvet manger with, uh, with, with hay, uh, along with hay and uh, it was a flop. It didn't sell. They couldn't get rid of it. It sat on the shelves. In desperation, one of the store owners put a big sign out in the front of his window. Jesus Christ, marked down 50%. Get him while you can. And it stunned the churches in the area. They put it in the newspaper, this billboard. But the truth is, that's the essence of what a lot of churches do this time of year. Let's water him down. Let's uh, give him half strength. Let's mark him down. No one's willing to take the gospel at full strength, so let's, uh, let's sugarcoat it. Let's dress it up. Let's put a new spin on it. But we don't have to do that, do we? As though we haven't really realized in ourselves that the world out there doesn't want to hear the gospel anyway. But God is preparing hearts, amen? amen. Yes. Number two, by becoming. This really tugged at me because I really feel I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But I believe some of us need to hear it. We need to be growing in Christ. Are we growing? Are we maturing? Are we coming more and more like Jesus Christ? Is he becoming more exalted, bigger, greater in our life, in us? We should be able to look upon last year and see a measurable growth in you and me. Is Jesus becoming bigger and bigger, greater and greater, exalted in our life? If he if he's becoming smaller and smaller and you're sitting further and back, you're doing less and less, you're not growing. And you will become discouraged. You will become a grumbler and complainer. The music's not loud enough. Too much guitar. It's not loud enough. It's too loud. You know, the preacher talks too long. I, I can't sit that long. You know, I'm blessed in this church because I thought when I, was, when I was studying for this, what we do here at Calvary Chapel, not to give us a big pat on the back, but just to say, God is using us. We have... A soup kitchen out here that feeds anybody who's hungry every Wednesday. And people come faithfully every Wednesday and prepare a meal. Servants come and hand out a hot plate every Wednesday. We have a women's outreach like no other. We have men's home Bible study. We have 
celebrate recovery out here, that, we're, that we have an outreach, that we reach out to our community, those that are suffering and hurting and have hang-ups. And it's alive and well. God blesses this. That is becoming like Christ. That is Christ becoming flesh in you and me. Anybody seen the movie uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia? There was a book before that. <laughs> I didn't read it. <laughs> but there's a scene in the movie where little Lucy sees Absalom, the lion, and he's representative of Jesus Christ. And Absalom says to, to Lucy, welcome child. And Lucy says, you're bigger. No child, says Absalom, you are older. You mean you're not bigger, says Lucy? I am not. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. You will find me bigger. You and I need to be able to look upon the year and see a measurable change in our life. That you and I are growing in Christ now the last, the word becoming flesh. We need to be making the truth incarnational. I just wanted to use that big word. I knew, <laughs> I, I knew Joni would be impressed. <laughs> she's, been, she's been sitting over there waiting for me to flub up. <laughs> Are you impressed, Joni? Thank you. Let me explain. You and I need to be available to a hurting world. Not in the world, not of the world, but in the world. You and I need to be making the Lord Jesus flesh in us. We need to be nurses and doctors attending the sick. You and I need to be available for those. This place here needs to be a hospital for the sick. We should be aware when we come in this morning that we've already prayed and we're looking for opportunities to share God's love to those that are hurting. That we're prayer warriors, that we offer up a kind gesture a hug, a smile, a good morning. Could I pray with you? Turn with me to Philippians 2. This is the great kenosis passage that we're all familiar with, but I think we need to, because I can preach this, but you can ask, what do you mean? Become flesh. And this is what Paul wrote to the Philippians Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You and I need to become of no reputation. Willing to get our hands dirty. If you've been coming a long time and all you do is come and say, here I am, entertain me, feed me, feed me, I'm hungry again, you're not getting it. You and I need to be servants. We need to have a servant heart. We need to be humble servants for Jesus Christ. We need to be open for opportunities to share God's love with those that need it the most. Jesus was criticized because uh, he says, Ooh, he eats and drinks with sinners and, and, and tax collectors and publicans. And Jesus said, I, I come for the sick, not for the well. When you and I reach out into our community and give in the name of Jesus, this is when the word becomes flesh in us. When you give to, the, give to a homeless person, to a widow, to an orphan, when you feed the hungry, in the name of Jesus, you are becoming like your Savior. When we do this, the word becomes flesh. When you and I bridge a gap of unforgiveness to someone who is hurting, and when you encourage a fellow worker or a stranger who sh and show compassion and love to someone in need of a friend, the word becomes flesh. You are becoming like Jesus Christ. You are de demonstrating the love of the Father in heaven. This is Christmas in a nutshell. And I thought about this and I thought, I needed to hear this message because me and Joni pray every year, Lord, help this to be about Christ. Help me that we would stay on track. But it's one thing to pray about it, but it's one thing to know, well, what do I do? What do I do? We need to be eyes ears, mouth, hands and feet for Jesus Christ. And say, Lord, use me. Lord, guide me. I'm surrendered to you. I want to be used by you. That's my heart. And I guarantee you, when I study, God is always faithful to bring me someone to share that with somebody. Isn't that true, John? God is always faithful. Yes. But when I don't, he don't. When I choose to watch TV and play games, I can't be used. I'm not opening myself up. It's, it's, that, it's that discipline of saying, I'm tired, Lord, but I'm going to read your word before I go to bed tonight. I'm so tired. I'm going to pray tonight. 
I don't want to do it. I know I have to. I know I need to. Let's all stand. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at who you are and what you did for us. That you loved us this much. That you stepped down from eternity to rescue us. That you became flesh that we could be saved. We want to be your eyes, Lord, to see. We want to be your ears to hear. We want to be your lips to speak. We want to be your hands and feet, Lord, to do your will. Your work while there is still time, Lord Jesus. Help us to do that this Christmas, that we would not be caught up in all the trappings that steal our joy, that we would set our hearts and minds on you, that we would not miss opportunities to share your love, your hope, your grace, your son, Jesus Christ, with family, friends, and neighbors this Christmas. May your word become flesh in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great opportunity to share communion this morning. If I could have the ushers come forward and and take the implements. If I could have the band come up.